Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mind's Eye podcast. You are listening to Dr. Annika Vanderwald. I'm a neuro-ophthalmologist and neurologist at the World Victorian Eye and Ear Hospital in, in Melbourne, um, Australia. And with me, I have my co-host, co-host Dr. Neil Shui, who is an esteemed neuro-ophthalmologist from Melbourne as well. Um, we are interviewing keynote speakers at the NOSA conference in Sydney in 2017. And our speaker this morning is Associate Professor Stefan Hamann, who is an Associate Professor in the Department of Ophthalmology at the, in Copenhagen in Denmark. He specializes in diseases of the optic nerve and divides his time between clinical research um, into optic nerve diseases um, as well as um, doing multiple clinics. Thank you. So I'm Dr. Neil Shuey, a neuro-ophthalmologist from the Royal Victorian Eye Ear Hospital in Melbourne, uh, here with Stefan Hamann. So once again, Stefan, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of our podcast. You're welcome. We're talking about this fascinating topic of optic dystrusion, and uh, some of the uh, audience may not be entirely familiar with that condition. In fact, uh, many of the neurologists may wonder whether drusen are those funny little yellow spots we see at the macula you look on pandoscopy. What are optic disc drusen? Yeah, optic disc drusen actually don't have anything in common with the macular drusen except for the name. The name comes from the German word drus, which means like stone, like, you know, the small crystal uh, stones called drus. But um, the drusen in the um, optic nerve head are uh, proteinaceous structures, sometimes calcified, and they are located in front of the lamina cubrosa. And actually, they're present in up to 2.4% of the population, so they're not that rare. Uh, yeah, that's right. That seems a lot more common than what we would expect. Mm. I think in clinical practice, um, I'm not sure that we see it that often. Is that because we need to be looking harder? <laughs> well, um, in most cases, there are not causing any problems. So uh, if you need to, to look harder, I'm not uh, sure about that. But where you need to really look harder is uh, where you're in, in doubt whether it's a papilledema or whether it's another cause, uh, actually what we call pseudopapilledema. So in terms of the way that patients might present with this, that's uh, that's one way with a, a pseudopapilledema that may raise concerns about potential papilledema. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are two different uh, presentations in a way. One is with the... Uh, you actually, where you actually see the structures lying on the surface of the optic disc. That's what we call a visible optic distrusion, or uh, earlier on it was called superficial optic distrusion, but at least visible uh, optic distrusion, you see them directly lying on the surface of the optic nerve head, then you're not in doubt. But in the other case, it's the buried optic distrusion that lie beneath the surface of the optic nerve head, and they cause this elevation of the optic disc that looks quite similar to the um, sometimes life-threatening uh, papilledema and that's the real uh, issue here that's why it's uh, very interesting also for the neurologist to, to distinguish between the two so in terms of those um, visible drusen are obviously a lot easier to to determine but those buried disc drusen what sort of clues might there be that that's what's going on yeah okay so first of all you have to look at the uh, disc margin and look at the small tiny vessels and usually in real papilledema you can cannot distinguish uh, the, the tiny little uh, vessels but in case of a pseudopapilledema because of the uh, optic distrusion uh, you can always distinguish the small vessels that that's one clue another clue is to look at the tortuosity of the vessels uh, uh, usually in case of a raised intracranial pressure you have the tortuous vessels 
Um, that's what by just looking at the optic, this has, those are the most uh, prominent uh, differences. Otherwise, it's you have to, to use uh, auxiliary uh, diagnostic uh, methods. And in terms of those auxiliary methods, um, you know, I remember being taught always that ultrasound was supposed to be the gold standard test. Is that really the test that we should be using? Well, ultrasound is uh, good in case of calcified drusen. You know, you, you're born with the optic nerve head drusen, and while you're a kid, they're always buried. And if you're uh, above 20 years old or something like that, they're always visible at the surface. So it's between when you're about 10 years to 20 years, that's where they become visible. So um, it's also the period where they become uh, calcified. And when they become calcified, it's easy to detect them by ultrasound. But when they're not calcified yet and they're buried beneath the surface, you, you cannot detect them uh, using uh, ultrasound. And what about autofluorescence? That's another technique that's often used. Is that helpful for buried drusen? Um, it's not really helpful for the buried drusen. Uh, we performed a rather large uh, study showing that uh, if they're uh, located uh, very, very deep in the optic nerve, you cannot detect them uh, by autofluorescence. And it's also difficult with the big ones. And in terms of the um, other tests like OCT scanning, that was one of the really excellent parts of your talk in terms of the newer techniques that can be used there. Could you elaborate on those? Yeah. Um, so what you need to do is to do the enhanced depth imaging OCT, which can be done in, in almost any spectral domain OCT machine. You just uh, add on the um, EDI uh, option. And then you penetrate deeper into the optic nerve head, and then you get the posterior border of the optic distrusion also. And they're shown as uh, hypo-reflective um, uh, structures with a hyper-reflective shell often, but always hypo-reflective. And uh, apart from the uh, enhanced uh, depth imaging, um, there was uh, also uh, another form of OCT. Yeah, you can do the swept source OCT also. And it's, it's equally good. It might not be as well in terms of uh, resolution, but almost equally well. And it's very fast to do if you have uh, this option. It, it, it also penetrates deep into the optic nerve head and uh, it detects the uncalcified uh, drusen as well as the small ones. And uh, finally, in terms of those diagnostic tests that I was always taught, one of them was to examine the parents and to see whether there's any signs there. What do you think the validity of that is? Well, I think it's uh, it's interesting to, to examine the, the parents because, uh, uh, as we know, this, this is a disease that has a, 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 a irregular dominant inheritance pattern. So there is a high chance of, well, I don't know if it's high, but a, a chance of finding a drusen in the parents as well. But it, it doesn't really bring you more information uh, as such, uh, although, of course, you can... Uh, tell the parents and now they have this <laughs> this diagnosis but uh, we need to do further uh, studies on families with uh, patients with optic diffusion in order to find the potential gene underlying the, the deficit and when we have uh, found that of course it would be very interesting to examine the relatives we've been talking about pseudopapilledema being a differential diagnosis obviously for papilledema but the other way these patients can present is with vision loss um, yeah. Can you comment maybe on the mechanisms for which that vision yeah. loss might be occurring? Yeah, actually, I think 
an, an important thing to say is that almost all of these patients, up to 87% of the patients, have visual field defects. So, but these are only usually detected if you perform an automated pyrimetry. Um, although, in if you have real large uh, coalescing drusen, you you can uh, actually get a, a tunnel vision with a legal blindness because of your vis visual field effect. But the other way you get the acute vision loss is uh, that you have an ischemic optic neuropathy, uh, what you call an AION. Uh, you can also have a, a vessel occlusion. Uh, you can have a choroidal neovascularization associated to the disc. But the most common thing is that you have an uh, AION. And uh, you should always actually, if you have an uh, acute ischemic optic neuropathy in a patient younger than, say, 40 years old, you should look for optic exclusion because it's not common in a younger age to have this uh, condition. In terms of the chronic progressive field loss that some patients get, um, there's been lots of interest in, in looking at various treatment options. Do you think there's any, any treatments that should be tried? People are often quite desperate. Yeah. Um, I think, well, what that has been a lot of um, medications that have been tried uh, throughout the years, most notably probably the um, eye, eye pressure lowering drops. And um, of course, in case you find uh, an elevated intraocular pressure, of course, we give the, the drops. Sometimes if patients are really desperate and they have a pressure that's high in the, in the normal range, we also do that just to, you know, to, to do what we can. But uh, Right now, there's actually no good uh, treatment options, even for those uh, severe cases. One of the questions that um, that often comes up with these patients when we're looking at this disc that is elevated and progressive visual uh, field defects is maybe in addition to disc drusen, they actually have raised intracranial pressure as well. Uh, how would you go about trying to determine that distinction? Would you go to a lumbar puncture or look at imaging findings? Yeah, that's a good question. It's because Sometimes, of course, we see kids that are referred um, because the, the doctor finds a suspicion of papilledema. And uh, in these cases, um, of course, we do the examination of the, the disc and we do the OCT. Perhaps we find some drusen. Uh, sometimes if the, the child complains of headache and uh, other uh, symptoms of raised intracranial pressure, we go to, to perform a CT scan or MRI if it's possible. And if uh, these examinations turns out normal, usually we don't uh, go any further forming a lumbar puncture, especially if there are not any signs on the, on the imaging of the race intracranial. Um, Stefan, if I can ask you a question as well. If you do mm -hmm. see an adult um, with significant optic um, nerve head drusen, um, and you're worried about a possible, you know, vascular complication down the track in terms of sudden visual loss. Is there anything that you would advise the patient to do, um, you know, as a possible pre preventative strategy? I mean, would you put these people on aspirin? Do they need more intensive vascular risk factor management to minimise that aspect of ischemic optic nerve damage? Um, what would you? How would you approach it? Yeah, I think it's a very good question, and I think it. If you look at the uh, patient with the uh, optic distrusion, they usually they have a small disc, um, and uh, but sometimes they have more like a, a very small disc, like the, the ones that are suspected of having a, a what you call a, a real non-arthritic uh, AION. 
and of course in these cases you need to explore a little more uh, into the um, risk factors for having these kind of uh, complications uh, of course uh, the associated factors with uh, obstructive sleep apnea and uh, uh, perform a, a regular blood uh, exam and uh, measure the blood pressure and all that so they go more into detail with the, the cardiovascular status of the patient um, and uh, talk about uh, smoking and all all these factors but so but 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 those those all those issues I don't usually uh, engage in this with the, the regular drusen patient I don't think that if you're born with optic disc drusen you're not necessarily born with a, a higher risk of having these vascular complications but um, yeah so that's how I would approach it I think I would, it would depend on the particular the particular disc that's great thank you great so uh, finally Stefan to to wrap it all up the take-home message in terms of making that diagnosis of optic disc bruising uh, to summarize again what would what would be the key features you would look for in the key tests yeah I would definitely perform if possible um, an OCT of course if you don't have the OCT machine uh, it's uh, difficult and I'll do the ultrasound is uh, the best you can also do a, a CT scan but you know it's more, more you have the radiation exposure and the cost of it and everything but uh, if you have the OCT, I would do the EDI OCT, and you would need to scroll through the um, different scans. You'd, you'd have to do the uh, EDI OCT of the uh, optic disc, not just the periphery region of the optic disc, and then scroll through the different scans. Perhaps use uh, the uh, 3D function also. It can help. Um, so it's not enough just to view one of the scans, you have to scroll through it and then you'll probably find the, the Drusen. Excellent, that's that's really great. Thank you, Stefan. You've made this uh, fascinating and, and difficult area just that little bit easier, so we appreciate it so much. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Stefan. Welcome.